Hello and welcome to the latest episode in our series of Thames Podcasts. My name is James Coleman and I'm delighted to say that on today's pod we're joined by Keel and North Staffordshire Teacher Education Executive Skit Director Di Swift. Di talks to us about the vital role teacher educators play in the journey of a trainee teacher and we unpick how co-analysis can help build effective professional relationships. So, if you're sat in the classroom after a long day, on a dog walk with your headphones or driving home on the motorway, thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Thames Podcast. Okay, I'm delighted to say I've got Di with me now. Good afternoon, Di. How are you? Hi, James. I'm good, thank you. Pleased to be here. How about yourself? Very well, thank you. Thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time to uh, to join us. How have how have things been? We're recording this at the, the final throes of the academic year. It's, it's July. How, how are you feeling? Yep. So, uh, well, it's been a different year. We uh, said goodbye to our current cohort probably a, a week or so ago. And uh, we said to them that they didn't anticipate in September training to teach during a pandemic. Um, but really, they've been so humbling in the way that they've embraced the online learning, um, been desperate to improve their pedagogy. And just really so proud of them in the way that they've engaged with the opportunities. So um, we said to them, they're well prepared. It's been a different training, but they're well prepared. It's, it's been amazing how resilient, uh, I mean, just the teaching force in general, I guess, you know, we could we could extrapolate that away from trainees. But for trainees, especially who are, are trying to, you know, navigate their way through their first year, possibly even in a school, um, just how resilient they've been uh, across kind of all providers. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's um, when the trainees look at what motivated them to come into the profession and quite often that motivation is about using education positively to transform the lives of others, that that principle's held. And so I think that's given them a a motivation and a moral compass um, to navigate um, some of the difficulties that they've perhaps been thrown at them. Um, so, yeah, I think the whole profession can hold its head up high in the way that it's been part of the national response. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for trainees as well, you know, in lots of ways, they've missed out in terms of school time, but actually they've been prepared so well for a career in teaching through the resilience that they've had to show in their, the very early stages of their careers. Yeah, yeah, it's been interesting hearing some of our current cohort have been speaking to the the new new recruits, new cohort, and it's been um, an honour really to listen to them. But they've shared exactly that that they've learnt different things, but it's actually given them a time to reflect, perhaps more deeply, to be more um, reflected, more self analytical, and they feel that that again. Um, is enabling them to look forward to whatever September has to offer um, with renewed vigour. So uh, talk uh, uh, talk us a little bit about your role at uh, Keel and North Staffordshire, uh, Di. You're, you're the executive director there. Do you want to just give us a little bit of, back, a little bit of background on your provision, the context, those sorts of things? Yeah, yeah. So um, we've been a skip since 2014 um, we we had quite an interesting um, birth if you like in that we work in a collaborative partnership provision with Keele University um, so prior to that just for two years Keele um, offered a primary PGCE 
And then um, as the time of school direct and school led partnerships came in, Kiel migrated its provision to Seabridge Primary School, which became our lead school and now part of Shore Education Trust. So we're, we're a little bit of an unusual provision in that we're a school-led partnership that works in a very close way with our um, local HEI provider. So we now serve a partnership of over 120 schools. Um, those schools are mainly located in Staffordshire and Stoke-on-Trent and it's a, a predominantly primary partnership but we do have a large number of special schools working with us because we're privileged enough to have a, a special needs pathway. And we also have quite a number of middle schools who work with us. We've got several areas that still um, operate a, a middle tier. And those schools like us because one of the other features of our provision is that we offer subject specialisms. Um, so we're, we're quite a large primary SKIT um, provider. And I'm very proud of the way that we serve our partnership of primary, middle and special schools and also um, proud of the way that we work in a, a social mobility opportunity area. So we work very closely with the Stoke-on-Trent um, opportunity area. I, I visited, uh, I think, just before the lockdown, actually, about three or four weeks before the lockdown and spoke to one of the uh, subject leaders uh, around uh, within the programme. Do you mind just talking a little bit more, actually, about how you, uh, so things like foundation subjects and the spotlight that you put on those, the, the system that you have in place, because I think it's a, a, a really successful model. Um, certainly when I came to visit, I was really impressed, but also it, was, it just it, it struck me as being a very good system for supporting those subjects. Yeah, so um, since our inception, really, we've um, really tried to value the significance of subject knowledge and subject expertise. Of course, that can be somewhat challenging as a, a primary teacher when you're um, trying to navigate 10 subjects and you're trying to be mindful of the, the quality in terms of your planning and teaching and learning across that range of subjects. Um, so one of the things that we did when we set the programme up was we offered um, applicants uh, a specialism. So for their specialism, they either need an A-level, an element of their degree or experience that relates to that specialism. And we've got um, seven specialisms, including PE, art and design, English and the performing arts, um, geography and history. Um, science, English and math, so a range of specialisms. Um, and what we wanted to do was enable um, our trainees to be confident of that high quality, um, rich and varied curriculum. So during the course, there are eight specialism days. Um, so we take the same theme for those days. So it might be subject leadership. Um, it might be working um, children identified as having English as an additional language. And you do it through the lens of your specialism. And um, our thinking is that if you're confident of that subject area, you can dig a little bit deeper in terms of your understanding in relation to those um, key themes. So and, trainees are able, sorry, James. Yeah, I was going to say trainees are able to follow um, their passion, but also um, use that passion to respect other subjects in the curriculum as well. Great. My question was going to be pretty much that exactly that dialogue. What sort of impact does that have? But um, obviously for the for the podcast, uh, this is part of 
Thames, which I know actually you've been part of in terms of setting that up. Um, and so our focus is going to be a little bit on mentors and the role that they play uh, in the teacher training year. From your point of view and, you know, based on your experience, how important is a mentor to the experience that the trainees within your provision have? Yeah, so um, we we actually call our mentors teacher educators, um, which which I know is something that NASBIT value as well. So part of the reason um, for that is that we feel the role of a teacher educator um, encompasses coaching, encompasses mentoring, but also encompasses that education um, of the beginning teacher in relation to the profession's big ideas. Um, we also like the term teacher educator, um, borrowing really from the Dutch model, where whether you're based in a school or a university, whatever provision you're based in, you're called a teacher educator, you're responsible um, for that wider education of teachers. It, so without sorry, without putting pressure on our teacher educators, we say they're the linchpin, they're the core, and um, they are the key people in a school-led provision. That phrase, teacher educator, it, as you say, encompasses more than just that relationship between, not that that isn't vital, it's a hugely important part of that relationship, but there is more to it than just being able to communicate effectively between the two of you and, and mentoring in that sense. There's a wider scope for mentors or teacher educators uh, as part of their role. Yeah, absolutely, James. So, um, as you say, those relationships are key. So we we talk with our teacher educators about um, the relationship with their trainee, with their peers is key, but also their relationship with knowledge, with professional knowledge. Um, is another fundamental element of that role Uh, and it's maybe that relationship of knowledge that that's been particularly important to us in in developing within our partnership. So building on that because teacher educators are busy (laughs) they'll have a lot of other responsibilities they'll have a lot of things that they are responsible for uh, alongside um, the trainee that they're working with What have you done within your own provision to support that process, to empower those teacher educators to get the knowledge that most of them will desperately want and uh, will potentially need, but maybe aren't, aren't, um, haven't had the experience yet to know where to go or what to do in order to, uh, to get that knowledge? Yeah, so we've, um, we've done a lot of work with senior leaders within our partnership um, to really value the role of teacher educator Um, not only in terms of enabling the next generation of teachers, um, but also the way that it helps the teacher educators themselves think about their own pedagogy, um, their own curriculum design, their own philosophy in terms of um, assessment. So we've worked with the partnership to really have the teacher educator role as a middle leader role, as a career pathway um, so we're very excited about the work that NASBIT's been doing um, with the, the teacher educator and mentor development zone. Um, we're also very excited about what might be coming in terms of the specialist MPQs that are developing and, and particularly the one in terms of teacher developer. But, but what we wanted to do with the partnership was give the role status and time almost on a parity with the SENCO within, it, within a school. Um, So in a school-led provision, developing ourselves and the next generation of teachers 
is fundamental in terms of having that high quality impact on pupils and pupil progress. And, and how did you go about kind of communicating that with the with your partnership schools? How, how did that process work? Yeah, so we um, within the programme, um, all our teacher educators are um, with us for a day at the beginning. That's a, a non-negotiable. It's within our partnership agreement. Um, if, if someone had asked me when we'd introduced this six years ago, can you do this? I would have doubted it. But actually, <laughs> It's just been a non-negotiable. And I think now our schools are so confident of the impact. So at, at the start of um, both placements, the teacher educator um, and the AT, the associate teacher, we call them, are with us for a full day. Um, and in that day, not only do we um, spend a little bit time on the inevitable paperwork, but, but we've... Um, try to also supplement that element with, with the equivalent of podcasts so that we don't have to spend too much time on, on the important but the functional. But then we've introduced them to the way of working, including um, co-analysis and some of the expectations in terms of the way that we would like them to work together productively in relation to this bigger professional knowledge. So, so making it core and non-negotiable has been key. And I'd say to other partnerships you've just got to hold your line a little bit on that one and then people will see the benefits i think that's that, that's absolutely the, the key point isn't it is that over time it, people will see the benefit to their staff you know if, if they're going away and having cpd effectively that's really powerful that's impactful on them that impacts not only on the trainee but also on the teacher educators themselves schools are going to be far more uh, positive about giving them that time out of class yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also that wider, um, you know, we're all concerned not only about recruitment, but retention within the profession. And a lot of the research evidence is very consistent um, that one of the key indicators of high retention is where people benefit from a high quality teacher educator or, or mentor. And so both um, beginning teachers and RQTs and folk early on in their career benefit from that, but also more experienced colleagues very much value that pathway um, that is focusing on that essential element of being a highly successful class-based teacher. So it's been a win-win for our partnership, not only in terms of high recruitment and retention figures, but also the retention of experienced colleagues. You mentioned earlier about co-analysis, which I know is is a cornerstone really of of the way that your teacher educators work with your um, with your trainees. Can you talk a little bit about what what co-analysis is? Uh, give us a, a bit of context as to what co-analysis is. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for picking up on that, James. Absolutely. So we were mindful, and I, I guess other people will relate to this, um, we were mindful of the significance of um, feedback. And um, we'd used John Hattie's work and Helen Timpley's work, and um, we're very persuaded by the, the importance of feedback in professional development. But what some of our own evaluation was also telling us is um, quite often in, in feedback, um, even if you start with the praise, people will half listen to the praise, but they're waiting for the but. Um, and and they're, they're not always engaging with everything that is being said to them. 
so then we'd looked at um, also some of the research that had been done about dialogue and um, using a dialogic pedagogy in our classrooms with learners. Um, so philosophy for children and communities is, is something that's also very important to us. So, so we looked at this notion of um, dialogue in the sense of developing understanding together. Um, we use some of the NASBIT materials about listening empathetically. And so whilst feedback's important, we um, very quickly embrace feedback within this co-analytical um, dialogic space. Uh, and what we mean by that is that we have a, a, an inquiring conversation in relation to um, practice. So um, a lesson is then um, co-analyzed. So the, the associate teacher and the teacher educator co-analyze it. They've both got something to say and they use the lesson as a resource. Um, to analyze it in relation to a big idea in teaching. So in relation to um, curriculum or in relation to pedagogy or in relation to assessment. And, and what we find is that the AT, um, rather than being done to the associate teacher, rather than being done to, um, they have to take the initiative and offer their thinking, why, why did they construct that lesson in that way in relation to what they know about assessment? And that then means that the teacher educator is asking probing questions to find out more um, so that they're encouraging the beginning teacher to analyze and to take responsibility for their learning. And, and to be honest, both the teacher educator and, and the associate teacher co-learn. So they're being co-analytical, they're learning from each other um, in relation to these big ideas. How do you Does that make sense? Absolutely, it makes sense. And it, it sounds like a, a really fruitful uh, process for, as you say, both the teacher educator and for your associate teacher, which I, I think is a really important element of a successful relationship in that context. How do you support that process for, you know, let's say you're in October in a, in a typical year, I know at the moment with COVID, um, perhaps those systems aren't as they normally would be. But when you have perhaps a new associate teacher, a new teacher educator that you've not worked with before, who perhaps isn't aware of, of how to implement that strategy or to work that way, how do you support uh, specifically really the, the teacher educator to deliver that sort of process and to work that way? Yeah, yeah, good question, James. Thank you. So um, being co-analytical, we, we talked to a new teacher educator about you, you need to listen carefully to what your associate teacher is saying, because you need to use your knowledge in a different way. Um, so rather than using our knowledge of teaching and learning as knowledge to tell, as knowledge to impart, um, what we're encouraging the teacher educator to do is to use that knowledge to listen carefully um, to what the associate teacher is telling them so that the, the teacher educator can then um, guide them or pinpoint or um, choose what to emphasise um, with the beginning teacher so that they can best develop. So um, being co-analytical is, is really challenging. Um, you're using your knowledge about teaching in a different way. One of the hardest things to do is to be quiet and not to tell. Um, that, that Especially can be really, for teachers. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm not the best role model. <laughs> so it's interesting when we get folk to do transcripts. Um, and, and so we do ask them to transcribe a dialogue. Um, a productive co-analytical dialogue should be the transcript should show that both the AT and the TE are doing as much talking as each other. Whereas quite often in a, when we transcribe a feedback conversation, the associate teacher quite often doesn't say much and therefore we don't actually know how much they're absorbing. Whereas if we're asking them these probing questions, in a way for the associate teacher, there is nowhere to hide. Um, they need to share their knowledge, they need to explain it, they, they need to express it. And then the teacher educator can listen carefully and know which elements to pick up on and progress. Just reflecting on, on that process, you know, it seems like certainly from my teacher training, you know, that's such a shift from how I experienced the feedback that I would get or perhaps the mentor relationship that I had during my training. What's the what's the impact that you've seen of moving to a co-analysis uh, system? What, what sort of impact does that have both on the teacher educator and on your associate teacher? Yeah, so if I maybe start with the associate teacher, again, we um, everybody's different. Um, some associate teachers will um, embrace co-analysis quicker than others. So we still, feedback's still important to us. That's still part of the package. Um, but what it means for the associate teacher is they need to take responsibility for authentic analysis on their lesson early on so we talk to them about authentic analysis that, that they don't modestly say well I don't know how that lesson went when actually they know that that was a lesson that really had high quality impact on the learning so we want them to be authentic and say well I think that went well because I was really pleased with the way that the children um, responded to the grouping or um, the the oral questioning so it means that the AT right from the beginning has to think about their experience in the school that where they're training in relation to those bigger ideas. Quite often what the teacher educators are feeding back to us is that they um, find that they get far more personal satisfaction um, from the dialogue with the beginning teacher because it's a two-way um, dialogue. And quite often um, the associate teacher is sharing information with them that makes them think differently. Um, and um, they enjoy, if you like, the, the intellectual challenge of working co-analytically. Just a thing that struck me then in terms of the, your, your associate teacher as well, that's, that's one of the hardest things, I think, for a, someone who very early on in their training year to see that bigger picture, to, to see not just, you know, behaviour management in isolation, if, if maybe you've had a tricky moment in one of your first lessons that you're teaching, but trying to see the bigger picture. And it, it sounds like that process really supports that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I think it does is move them very quickly beyond recipe to repertoire. So rather than looking for a single solution, um, they're building up this sort of toolkit of a range of solutions 
and through co-analysis they're trying to reason and justify um, the choices so if a lesson goes well they've perhaps been able to make productive choices in terms of the learning if the lesson doesn't go well well then let's analyze what other strategies could you have used what other strategies were available to you and and why wasn't that your first choice and why might it be a different choice in the future looking at it from a, a teacher educator perspective it, it sounds to me like it, it also takes some of the pressure off the teacher educator in that process especially if it's perhaps a new teacher educator who's not done it before it doesn't it's not all about them and just them giving feedback to someone who's sitting there and having to take it all in and then you know, something profound comes out of your mouth that then impacts on them. Sounds like it's much more of a shared process, which which can take the pressure off the teacher educator. Uh, absolutely. I mean, one of the um, we've had a project recently where we've used this. Um, it takes a village to bring up a child. It takes at least one school, probably more than that, um, to bring up a, a teacher. So any teacher educator, if you like, is... Um, the conduit um, for the beginning teacher to access information. So we don't need to know it all ourselves and we need to be able to signpost. Um, so again, we're really excited by um, the, the teacher educator and mentor zone area that NASBIT are developing because that will become a good signpost for us. And um, the Chartered College of Teaching, we really like their early career hub. That's another lovely um, yeah. place for us to um, signpost folk to and encouraging the mentor to signpost other people within their school or group of schools um, no one person needs to know it all we, we need to know where um, to signpost the support one of the things I, I wanted to touch on was was new mentors because obviously as part of the Thames um, a lot of the people that, that visit the site are, are potentially teacher educators that are doing it for the first time that are looking for support that element of not feeling like you need to know everything and being comfortable enough to not only admit but to communicate to your associate teacher trainee whatever it is within your provision that you call it being able to have an open conversation about the fact that you're still learning and about the fact that you might not know something yet but someone down the corridor is a real expert in that area and perhaps you can share that process together yeah absolutely and I guess um, for me, James, within the wider profession, we should be modelling that we are all lifelong learners. So again, within our um, partnership, I don't mind confessing to it's not far off, um, soon be 30 years in the profession. And do you know what? I'm still learning. And every time I go into a classroom, um, I think differently. I learn something different. So if we want our pupils to be curious and embrace learning, then we need to model that ourselves as learners so as mentors or teacher educators modeling to our beginning teachers that actually part of the joy of teaching is that you're never finished you're never the finished um, product you there's always something more to learn or another dilemma um, to think about the response to and that well, that should be a deep joy uh, absolutely and something that not necessarily in every profession you get the opportunity to do either one of the things that I guess over the last few years that's changed is that certainly from when I trained, um, I think um, trainees or associate teachers now leave um, provisions with, with far more research and theory underpinning some of the work that they've done throughout that year. If you have a teacher educator who 
maybe is is maybe not familiar with an approach or some theory or some research that their associate teacher is bringing to them and is asking to implement or is wanting to implement what sort of advice might you give them in that sort of scenario yeah so i guess this is where the co-bit of the co-analysis um is really important and um the relationship so we would be encouraging our teacher educators to be open um to maybe engage um, with that work themselves so quite often one of the things that that we encourage our um, beginning teachers and mentors together is to both read an article and then to come back and share that response and again one of the things we're very mindful of in our um, partnership is that there shouldn't be a theory practice gap there should be a theory practice relationship so how does our practice relate um, to maybe that more theoretical position, how does that more theoretical position um, relate to our practice? And also that um, you know, teaching um, has got an interesting relationship um, with research and there probably aren't single solutions. So there probably isn't or, or very rarely, and I can't think of one where there is a single piece of research that gives us a solution. So it's being open to the fact um, that, that research opens us up um, to other possibilities in the same way that practice opens us up to other possibilities. So for a, a new mentor who's maybe not familiar with something, you shouldn't think, oh, I should know that, because of course you shouldn't. Um, you can't possibly have engaged with the range of research. It's about the new mentor being curious. Tell me a bit more. Where can I find out about that? right, let's have a discussion about that when I, I've engaged with that um, piece of research. So that it absolutely reflects yeah, that, 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 that no, 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 at all. Just, just, just that reflects that cooperative relationship, doesn't it? That, that's, that's a perfect example of how that relationship is a cooperative one between the two, the two people involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the mentor or the teacher educator is still the boss, if you like, you know, it's, um, yeah. it's still an asymmetric relationship in that, um, the teacher educator has got that responsibility for the beginning teacher's development, but it is a far more um, collaborative, cooperative approach, as you say. Thinking about new mentors, uh, maybe, I mean, it would most likely will be linked to co-analysis, but, but moving slightly away from, from that conversation specifically, like I said, we'll have a lot of people tuning into the podcast who are, are potentially new mentors, teacher educators who, who are looking for advice. If you could summarise, it's very difficult to do, but if you could summarise a few golden nuggets that uh, might really help someone at the beginning of their journey as a teacher educator, based on all your experience, what would what would that be? Yeah, that is, that is a, a challenge. So the golden nuggets, um, <laughs> to, to care, um, to, to care enough about the person who's made a, a commitment to the profession, um, mm -hmm. So to, to care enough to widen their view, to um, show an interest, um, to listen carefully, um, to be open um, and um, to make, I know this is difficult, but I'm going to say it, to make time for them, to make that quality time. And, and that can be hard as a new mentor. Uh, then I think you're absolutely right, though, in that the, the first thing you said was was to care. And if you have the best interests 
of that trainee associate teacher at, at heart, then you will find a way to make time because it's something that is on your agenda. It's something that has importance in your own mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess all of us in our careers can think back to the mentor that made a difference to us and maybe it's passing that um, gift on in terms of, again, thinking about the contributions that we make to the profession. So again, a phrase we use within our skit, and I'm sure many folk do, um, we're, we're not just training for a school, we're training for a career. Um, yeah. And it, it's thinking about that bigger picture contribution that you're making as a mentor. And again, to use that as a joy, not a burden. Absolutely. You would see it as a, a wonderful opportunity to, to give something back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to drag us away from from uh, mentoring just just for a moment because on each podcast we uh, we ask our guests our, our top five, which are uh, five questions based uh, a couple based around education and mentoring, and a few just to to get to know our guests slightly better. You you, you happy to take on the top five, Di? Yeah, a little bit worried now, James, but absolutely. <laughs> nothing. There'll be nothing to catch you out. I promise. Um, so. First one, again, it's a bit like the, you know, if you could give one bit of advice to a teacher or to a mentor, uh, almost impossible to choose, I think. But if you absolutely had to, and it could be maybe if it makes it easy, you could choose one that you've read in the last 12 months or something, your, your favourite book. Yeah, that's a, a, a tricky one because I guess yeah. my, one of my escapisms is um, <laughs> reading. But I guess the book that's... Um, coming to mind is a, a, a book by um, Viktor Frankl and um, the title I guess in some ways is a bit dodgy but the title is Man's Search for Meaning um, but it's actually about um, he was a, a, a Auschwitz survivor um, and so the book talks about um, hope um, sort of hope in terms of using purpose to try and seek out meaning in some tricky circumstances so it's quite a short book a brief book that it's not difficult to read but the content is something that stayed with me and stays with me for a long time uh, to anyone listening I promise this isn't planned I, I ordered that book on my kindle yesterday really wow James You're, it's um it's really made me think so um part of Viktor Frankl's argument is about you you taking control of um some of the circumstances that are are thrown at you but but it's it's such a hopeful book out of such gritty circumstances well I was I was already looking forward to reading it uh, even more so even more so now um Moving on from your favourite book, which I'm now very excited to read, uh, your most what you would deem as being the most important skill as a teacher. Again, these are tough. They're, they're called the big five for a reason. Um, what do you think the uh, most important skill as a teacher would be? Yeah, so I think, um, I think, well, we've already mentioned care. And I mm -hmm. think it's that, therefore, careful listening. Um, yeah. So to be able to listen carefully. Lovely. Uh, you're hosting a dinner party. You can have anyone throughout history up to the present day. Um, perhaps there's going to be, I don't know, five or ten people there. Um, who would be the first person 
on that list, who would you absolutely have to have at that dinner party if you could have anyone throughout history up to the present day? So again, that's a really, a really <laughs> challenging one, James, a difficult one with the, I guess um, the person who's immediately coming to mind and maybe it's because of the circumstances we're in is um, Jacinda Ardern, the, the New Zealand Prime yep. Minister. Um, I'd love to find out where she gets her moral compass from. I'd, lo I'd love to find out how she's been able to present herself so um, confidently in relation to her ethics. Um, so she's, she's the person who comes to mind at the moment, James. Yeah, she, she would be, a f certainly at the moment, what a fascinating conversation that would be. Um, and just, she's a, a wonderful example of a leader for anyone, I think, in, in any work or any job or any role that you're doing. Um, mentors, an important skill for a mentor. Yes, yeah, so, we spoke. We um, spoke about care, didn't we? I guess you kind of already did. answered. Yeah, um, yeah Reasking yeah, a question. Yeah, that that care, and also maybe we talked about appreciating that it's a strength to not know everything. So I think that that might be it. That actually a strength is um, recognizing that you're a connector rather than that you should be the the only resource. Um, that that you're the resource that connects, and it's a strength not to know it all. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the impact that can then have, as you say, when we're talking about not just training someone to be an NQT or whatever, but actually for their entire career, by you modelling that sort of attitude, the impact that, that can, the lasting impact that could then have on your trainee teacher is, is huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and very last but not least, uh, this is the one I would find hardest because the answer, the list of answers is limitless from my perspective, but your favourite food, I don't know if you're a foodie or not, Di. Yeah, I do. I am a bit of a foodie and I guess, um, <laughs> yeah, um, and like for you, it would be a long list, but <laughs> if I had to identify one, a real treat sometimes is, uh, I love seafood, fish food, so perhaps salmon salmon would be my favorite food if you pushed me that's very good very healthy that's an impressive <laughs> an impressive choice i was expecting lobster or something either either very expensive or very unhealthy salmon's a great choice thank you yeah no that's yeah. A, that's a treat <laughs> your gp would be thrilled to hear that though um right well uh, other than those top five and uh unpicking all of the work you've done around co-analysis that's that's everything for the episode a, a huge thank you Di for for chatting through all of the work that you've done with Keel um all of your experience and the advice that you've, you've passed on to any mentors or teacher educators that are listening um it's been fascinating to hear everything that you've um created at, at Keel and and your viewpoint on all those things Thank you, James. It's my my pleasure. It's a privileged job, isn't it? Working with the next generation of teachers. It's just um, we're so lucky to do the work that we do. Absolutely. And um, I know that uh, next year, despite all the, the challenges that are, that are ahead of us, you're, you're, you're looking forward to it. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, in some senses, almost even more so, because I think it's um, reminded us of the essential role that we have, not only um, for each and every individual, but also for the communities that we serve. Absolutely. Well, best of luck to you, your associate teachers, your teacher educators, anyone who's who's working with the programme. And again, a huge thank you for being being on the podcast.
No, thank you, James. Thanks again to Di for appearing on this week's podcast and thank you to you for tuning in. As always, please do check back to the Thames website to find a wealth of free resources and guidance to support teacher educators in their role. You can sign up for free and we're constantly updating with new content each month. We'll be back for another podcast very soon. Until then, stay safe and goodbye.